Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Dan, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges in the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos in dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfish, con, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationship can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, troubles, finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are experts in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our official website is metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have our 19th episode of season one, a very special guest and relationship expert, Jack Hammer. And just like my previous podcast, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Jack, the floor is yours. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I'm very happy to be here and excited to talk with you and your and your audience. Okay. So I have to introduce myself. Well, let's see. I guess I should uh, say I am 70, almost 71 years old, which probably is relevant uh, to your listeners because your listeners are probably much younger. Mm-hmm. So you could think, oh, well, this guy doesn't know anything. He's an old guy. He's, uh, you know, he's out of touch. But on the other hand, um, I've been through a lot of relationships, a lot of relationships, some good, some bad, and I've learned a lot. So, you know, it's like everything. Um, I have my strengths and weaknesses. I think that uh, the kinds of things that I might be able to bring to the table here are not the kind of things that your audience hears typically every day from people who want to help them uh, uh, succeed in in dating. So uh, I have a master's in social work. Uh, I am a macro social worker, not an individual clinical social worker. I work on big systems. And that brings me to this idea of um, uh, dating and sort of the system that is currently in place for how dating often goes. Mm-hmm. Now, should, should I... Uh, Mention the thing that we just talked about quickly offline about how the situation was 60 years ago for women. Yes, yes, please. That will be okay. You have some history. Okay, good. So 60 years ago, a woman who had just read The Feminine Mystique, which is the book by Betty Friedan that is often credited with having launched the modern women's movement, and and had read in this book that uh, there's more that women can want and should want and, and should get in life other than being homemakers and wives and mothers. Not that those are bad things, not that those aren't things that can bring a lot of happiness, but too much of any good thing is not a good thing. (laughs) So 60 years ago, a woman who, who was going on a first date, who had it in her mind that she really wasn't interested in being a full time homemaker, might have had some difficulty with some maybe many, maybe most men that she was uh, having first dates with who were very much expecting the status quo, which is 
I'm the man. I'm going to be out there making money. I need somebody to stay home and take care of the home, raise the kids. And to have a woman say, well, no, that's not really what I want. I want a career. That might have been a deal breaker right there. Mm-hmm. And so the women who were out there on the on the, the bleeding edge, so to speak, sort of insisting that, no, I, I want more in my life. Uh, they had to sort of struggle. They had, they had to sort of suffer until more and more women said, yeah, this is what we want. So that men finally got the message that, wow, I guess I need to change my expectations here. Mm-hmm. So today, I think we have never really had the other side of this conversation and more and more men these days. And I know this is true, especially of young men, much more than guys in my cohort. Young men today want more from life than just making a lot of money and having a job that they don't care about that just fulfills the old fashioned traditional notion of what makes a man attractive. Because look, men want to be attractive to women. And if the women out there are thinking, well, what I'm looking for is a rich man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's thinking, look, I'm not interested in being a rich man. I'm, I am offering you something more in this relationship than money. I have a very well-developed heart. I am a loving, nurturing, kind, caring, patient person. And that means I don't want to spend 80 hours a week climbing the corporate ladder. If that's a problem for you, let's get that out on, on the table right now mm-hmm. so that we don't waste each other's time. Love and men who emotional intelligence. And, yes, emotional intelligence. And men who are saying that these days are sort of where women were 60 years ago saying, hey, I want more. Men who are saying, hey, I want more can often be a turnoff to women who are thinking, yeah, well, I, I want more. And for you to provide me more means you have to have less. Yes. And that's just a <laughs> <laughs> and that's a formula for disaster. Yes. Now, I believe that there are also many, many more women these days who are looking for the kind of man that I'm talking about, because many, many more women are achieving good careers. And so they get they get happiness at home and they get happiness at work and they need support and help and assistance and partnership in both arenas. And so they very much need men who are also looking for equality and fulfillment in both arenas, because a man who wants to be really involved with his kids takes a lot of pressure off women who are at work and have bosses who think, well, you're a mother. Uh, I can't really count on you to be a hard worker uh, because you're going to put your kids first. Yes. If, if it's no, no, my got a great husband and he's the one who puts the kids first, then it's better for everybody. Uh, but it takes some courage, especially on the part of men right now, to be able to say, look, here's what I want. But do you think that now um, men that, that are not really putting so much, um, I would say, priority on their career, and they want to be able to have more family life, etc., doesn't, doesn't it take things away from their masculinity? in some way well, or another? Well, how do you define masculinity? Look, 60 years ago, 60 years ago, a woman who wanted to be a lawyer, what do you think they were saying about her? Oh my God, she must be lesbian. <laughs> okay. I mean, no, honest to God, look, I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, what's wrong with her? 
what's wrong with her? She wants to fight. She wants to argue. That's not, that's not the female nature. That's not what women were ordained by God to be. That's not what it says in the Bible, all kinds of crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our ideas of femininity have gotten a lot um, richer, let's say. And our ideas of masculinity have a lot of room to get richer. And right now we're still on this tightrope of a man is somebody who makes a lot of money and a man is somebody who likes to compete and fight and scratch and claw his way to the top. Well, no, (laughs) that's not every man. And there's plenty of room in the dating world for men who say, no, I want more too. You want work-life balance. I want work-life balance too. And that is what I would suggest is one of the very first questions that a man ought to bring up on a first date, or maybe the second date, maybe the third date. But when he's comfortable, as soon as he's comfortable, a very important question to ask a prospective spouse. And we're talking here about relationships. We're not just talking about one night stands on this podcast. Yeah, we're talking about relationships. So if he um, gets comfortable to ask the question, I would suggest very strongly that he do this. Hi, so you really sound nice and interesting. Tell me about your idea of work-life balance. Okay. And just hear what she's got to say. And if it's all about her, if it's all about her. Narcissistic person. (laughs) Well, or or maybe, maybe she's narcissistic, or maybe she's just where men were 60 years ago. They weren't thinking about the other sex and what the other sex wanted. But you know, if you have a conversation in which you make it clear that, yeah, I, I get that work-life balance is important and I'm going to help. I, if we if we have a, a real relationship and a long-term relationship, I'll help you achieve work-life balance. But uh, guess what else? You're going to help me too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And that, I think, intrigues women because I think many women in the current dating environment are sort of expecting to get what they want. You know, I will dictate the terms of the relationship. Men are so desperate to, 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 to uh, have a relationship with a woman that they'll, they'll accept anything. Um, but a man who says, well, no, I'm not going to accept anything. I have value besides how much money I make. Mm-hmm. I am a human being. I am a nurturing person. I have a paternal instinct, and I want to fulfill that. Uh, as much as you want to fulfill all of your talents. And I think that hearing that from a man will help a woman think, wow, this guy's really got some integrity. This guy's really got some, some intelligence, some emotional intelligence. He knows what he wants. I'm interested in this guy because I know lots of women who have rich husbands who are very unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this man. But then do you feel, Jack, that... Um now with with people who've been single for a long long time and they get to a point of getting very desperate so they will settle with almost anything and because of this mindset that they could not be picky or else you're going to go into a relationship or into a date with that massive checklist that most people try to follow those either those red flags or green flags as we're talking about and because of that it doesn't allow people to accept not just necessarily their condition, but primarily the fact that I, this is what I want. I'm not going to budge from it. And then if they continue with this thought process, they're going to be single for the rest of their life. So how do you find 
the right medium, the middle that will best suit your needs and their needs. So the, the primary cause in my estimation of why men, and I'm, I'm thinking of men here. I, I know women are also sometimes feeling desperate and they'll take anybody. Mm-hmm. But the primary thing that causes men to feel desperate, I believe, is that they are lonely, 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 lonely. Look, we all know that men don't have nearly as many dear male friends, dear, dear friends of the same sex as women do. And so if you're going to be successful in negotiating an intimate relationship with a woman, you need to be successful in having intimate, friendly, buddy-buddy, dear relationships with men. Okay. And um, that, can, that can be a challenge. Um, but, you know, the stereotype is that men don't want to talk about these things. But in my experience, once you start engaging men in conversations about these things, these real things, how we really feel, what's really going on in our hearts and in our minds and, and what we want in life, what often happens in my experience is that the other man will say, wow, I am really glad you mentioned that because I thought I was the only one who felt that way. Mm-hmm. I see. And then, you know, you get some, you get some, um, some, some connections, some intimacy, some connections, some approval, some um, acknowledgement, some love. You, yeah. You get, you get acknowledgement. Uh, you get support from other men and um, you know, really what man, I mean, what woman wants to have a, to be involved emotionally with a man who doesn't have any, any friends. It's not a good sign. It's not a good sign for her. Uh, You know, he wants, he, he should have friends. He needs friends of the same sex. And that's, you know, that's the best way I think to keep from being desperate because your buddies are going to tell you, Oh my God, she said that. Well then, you know, of course you walked away. Yes. It was, you're not, you're not so desperate that you're going to accept anything good on you for, for standing up for yourself. Because if you, you get involved with a woman like that, you're heading for a divorce and then you'll never see your kids. And you know, it's just downhill from there. It piles up very quickly. So yeah. in your experience, I know that you, you have like a, an agency called working well with men. Um, so does it mean that primarily your goal is to help men be more, uh, to actually to communicate better, to be able to open up, to be able to discuss what they need, like women, like, you know, what they used to be in the past. Well, what is exactly the, the purpose behind that? Well, working well with men was specifically targeted to, toward an audience of social workers. I have a master's in social work. I got into social work because it seemed to me that social work was really biased against men. So I wanted to provide, this was the tagline of working well with men, to provide tools and training for the social work profession to help men give and get all the love they can. So my message to social workers was, you think men don't talk? Take a look at how well you listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In my estimation, social workers did not want to listen to men. They wanted to tell men how wrong they were and how the woman was always right. And if there's a problem between you and your wife, or your girlfriend, or your baby mama, well, you're the problem. She's not. There's much too much uh, in-group bias in social work uh, across gender lines. Um, But what I would say to men, 
about uh, opening up is, yes, it's very important to trust your feelings. Trust your feelings and pay attention to what you're feeling. They're not, for, they're not sissy. They're not girly. Your, your feelings, your emotions are the spark plugs of your personality. And if you want to be running around with an engine that is sputtering and missing and conking out on you and billowing out smoke out the tailpipe, you know, then, yeah, okay, you don't have to pay attention to your emotions. But if you want, if you want a life that is running on all cylinders and is efficient and performing well and powerful and able to move things in a good direction, then you need to pay attention to your emotions. Now, you, you were raised to think that emotions were for girls and they were girly, but that's wrong. You were raised to think that you don't really have any emotions other than anger, perhaps, mm -hmm. but that's wrong. Anger is often a secondary emotion that men express because it's manly when there are other emotions like sadness, fear, loneliness, disappointment, when all of those feelings are not allowed because you're a man. And so when you're looking for men friends, you know, you got to look for men friends who are not wrapped up in that macho nonsense about uh, just talking about money, sports, football, and, mm -hmm. you know, how you're going to, how, how you, how you'd hit that one if you could, you know, pointing to some woman. Yes. 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 You got to find men who have some emotional intelligence and I believe very strongly that men have much more emotional intelligence than we are given credit for and that we are expected to have and that we are rewarded for having. Very much like 60 years ago, there were women who were very good uh, and capable at all of the talents that would make them good lawyers or good CEOs or good teachers, good researchers but they just weren't rewarded for those things. They weren't expected to have those things. They weren't encouraged to develop those things. We're so, sort of in the same situation now as men where we're still not really rewarded as much as women are for what we feel and our emotional intelligence and expressing it and making sure we get our, our emotional needs taken care of. Because if you don't get your emotional needs taken care of, you're a miserable old fart and you're not gonna be any fun for anybody to be with least of all yourself. That's so true. But also, you would you agree, Jack, that uh, in, in the stage of dating, etc., there's a lot of things that we do not allow to express ourselves because we fear of losing that person, especially if we're in a position that we haven't dated for too long or we have not uh, met anyone for the past two or three years, especially during this pandemic and all that. But um, what, what I've just read from uh, John Gottman, the four horsemen in marriage and relationship, which is defensiveness, uh, criticism, contempt, and stonewalling, um, I see that if people express themselves in the beginning, that will avoid most cases of all this happening in the future. But yet, circumstances such as life, responsibilities, kids will change someone versus when they're in, in, their, in the single stage of, uh, of dating, etc. So how can you figure out a way to be able to increase your chances of having a very healthy marriage. By the honest conversations about what those expectations are for your marriage, so that when your life does change in huge ways, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't change in ways that are a complete surprise, to you, complete surprise to you and completely at odds with what you were hoping for. 
you know, here's what I'm hoping for. What are you hoping for? Wow, that sounds like a good match. Or here's what I'm hoping for. What are you hoping for? Oh, well, that ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. That's that I think is key. You know, we we yes, we're we're merely men. And, you know, we're we have all this toxic masculinity. I'm being facetious here. Uh-huh. And we re- and we really don't have a clue. And all we really want is to, you know, get laid and and watch sports. But, you know, it's not true. It's not true. Bring it out. Put it out there. Be who you really are. And you are you really are much more than you're told you are. You so know, have some. Have some confidence. You know, Jack Palance, an old actor from back in the day, mm-hmm. had a great TV commercial where he splashed on some aftershave. And he said, I don't need some fancy cologne to help me believe I'm a man. I use aqua velvet. He splashed it on me. Yes. And he goes, ah, confidence is sexy. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. <That was> <laughs> and everybody, everybody loved that commercial because everybody related to it. And I use that mobile so now if you look at 60 years ago, the way that things uh, was between men and women, and now that you see the way that uh, men and women date, what would be your prediction for the future in 60 years from now? Well, it's sort of up in the air. Okay. When I'm feeling when I'm feeling optimistic. I'm thinking that I will be able to look down from heaven one day (laughs) (laughs) and think, oh, yeah, we did it. We did it. Uh, You know, I'm an old guy, but the young guys are much farther along in this than my cohort ever was. And um, it it could also go the other way because the, the forces that are at work to keep things good for women so that they have as many options as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody gives up power willingly. And if men don't say, listen, dear, I really want a relationship with you, but it has to be fair and equal. And I know that means I risk losing you. Mm-hmm. But if men, if men aren't willing to say that, and I'm not talking about a couple or a dozen or hundreds. I'm talking thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions, more and more each year. Get to the point where we say, look, you want a happy marriage. I want a happy marriage. You don't want to get divorced. I don't want to get divorced. You don't want to put our kids through misery. You want your kids to have two, two loving parents. So do I. Um, here's what here's what it's going to take. Here's what it's going to take. And I know it's going to take some getting used to for you to think that you're not going to have a man who is just going to work his ass off for all the money he can possibly make, Mm -hmm. but that's what it's going to take. That's what we need. And there are lots of women who get that because like I said before, there are lots of women who know wives of really rich men and they are not happy. Mm -hmm. Is it because the, the husband, the rich husband lacks emotional intelligence well, you know, it, it could be that it could be because he he feels like he got gypped. He's doing everything he's supposed to do, everything that he was told to, to do and be to make himself a man, a real man, a family man, a good citizen. It all turned out to be wrong. It all turned out to be a lie. Mm-hmm. 
There's a fellow named George Vallant, V-A-I-L-L-A-N-T, who does a uh, who is in charge of, I think he might have retired by now, but he did a, 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 lo- a longitudinal study of what makes people happy. Okay. And when asked by, I think it was a writer from the Atlantic magazine, what did you learn over all these years? What makes people happy? He's, he, without, without hesitating, the researcher said, the most important thing in your life are your relationships. Correct. That's, That's it. That's it. And if you aren't taking care of your relationships, including your relationship with yourself, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're going down, a, down the wrong lane. You're walking off a cliff. But obviously, you know? we're talking about your spouse, your friends, your family. So it's more of a general, broad, uh, I would say, term, not necessarily with your significant other. Well, that's certainly part of it. But yes, your parents, your siblings, your, your, your neighborhood. Yes. But, you know, you, you're, yourself as well. You know, that's, that's the key to, you know, being able to trust your feelings. That's so true. You know, you, you, you know you're not a perfect person. But you know you're a pretty good person and you're trying to get better every day. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel angry about something, it's not because you're a beast. <laughs> it's because you're human and you need the ability to be able to say to your significant other or whoever it was that made you angry, hey, listen, I, you know, I, I'm sorry I got angry. What I really was feeling before I jumped out at you with my anger, what I really was feeling was sad or hurt or afraid or disappointed or whatever it was. You know, that's that that trust. If you can trust the primary feelings so that you don't think, oh, I can't say that I'm angry because I'm a man. No, I mean, I can't say I'm sad because I'm a man or I'm afraid because I'm a man. And so the only thing I can say is my anger. Yes. Well, then, you know, you you're not really trusting your feelings. If you if you trust your feelings and express them just to say, look, I don't know if I'm right or wrong here. I might be completely crazy here. But let me just tell you that I'm, I'm really feeling sad about this. And it's not an accusation. It's not, a, it's not an invitation to a fight. And in my experience, women who are in touch with their, their ability to be empathic, they will say, oh, my God, I'm sorry I, I, made, you, I made you sad. Tell it, you know, let's talk about this. Now, if you find a woman who says, you're sad, what about me? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're, you're probably... Uh, in for a, a lot of therapy. A long night. <laughs> yeah. A go, long go to doctor. Go, yeah. Go to couples therapy and get that one worked out. Yes. But you yes. know, hopefully, you can avoid that up front by establishing the right expectations. And this is where the four horsemen comes along, which is like you know either criticism or defensiveness, and always kind of feeling like, hey, it's not about you, it's about me, and then being you know like uh, almost like selfishness, etc. And that combines uh, all this to become like a world war three. Now, uh, where can people find you, uh, Jack? Well, everything I do is pretty much centered around the website called jackhammer.com. Okay. And that sounds, it sounds like Jack Hammer, <laughs> uh, new, like a pneumatic street repair device, but it's Jack Hammer. It's J-A-C-K. And then the last name also uh, has a K, begins with a K, jackhammer.com. Um, that's where I do, that's where I post most of what I'm about. Uh, it links to my YouTube channel, my podcasts, uh, my writings, that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Well, Jack, 
That is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us and sharing your extensive knowledge in the field of dating and relationship. Now, the many recommendations you share to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season one of the Love and Dating Group with Up to Then podcast filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listened to today. My name is Dr. Dan Emzalag, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.